the squadron. They called him Bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, now this is a, this is a miracle on our hands. I'm coming to grips with this story out of Japan. Two planes collided, a major airliner and a Coast Guard uh, transport aircraft, Japanese Coast Guard, I guess, right? Uh, 379 people made it off that plane. The whole damn thing is on fire and just totally destroyed. How did they make They're calling it a miracle. Sometimes that term, that word gets thrown around. This this is a miracle. 379 people out of there and uh, five people on the Coast Guard plane died. But uh, you'll see it on video. I'm going to put it up on my Twitter, um, at Greg Kelly USA, but uh, a major miracle out of Japan. Hey, real quick, Roger Stone, the uh, political uh, provocateur, uh, he got to work way back in the day for Richard Nixon. Um, he's worked for Donald Trump for many years, a friend of Donald Trump. He worked for Reagan. He's been all over the place uh, in conservative public, in conservative circles. He also dresses very, very well. Natty, a bit of a dandy, a lot of um, uh, custom-made clothing. Every year he puts out a best-dressed list. Guess what? I'm on it. Thank you very much, Roger Stone. And uh, how about that? Yeah, me, schlubby old me. I do kind of look like an unmade bed half the time when I'm going through my day. But when it comes time for showtime, whenever I'm on video, what do I do? I put on a Tom Ford jacket with a Tom Ford shirt and a Charvet tie. Now, that stuff is expensive. Number one, if you look high and low, you can find it for sale, but it is expensive. However, I never saved so much money on clothes until I started shelling out big bucks for clothes. This stuff lasts longer. You take better care of it. Um, I just, uh, and I always wanted a look. I always wanted a uniform because I would buy you know, I'd buy something from this guy, then I'd buy something from Bloomingdale's, then I'd buy something from Paul Stewart in different collars, different stripes, different patterns. And I just felt like uh, I wanted a uniform, a uniform look. You know, I thought it would be better for my brand or whatever, and I couldn't figure out what I liked until I found out what I liked. So uh, thank you very much, Roger Stone. He's an amazing guy, by the way, unfairly persecuted, prosecuted by the government, although I think he was pardoned by Donald Trump. One of the many things I love about Donald Trump, you know, when it came to the pardons, <laughs> he didn't wait until nobody was looking. He didn't wait until after the election before Inauguration Day. He was pardoning people in the middle of his administration so everybody could see. Everybody could see what he was doing. Why hide it? And Why not flex it? It's a power. It's an absolute power of the presidency. you got to use it. So Claudine Gay has resigned, the president of Harvard University, presidents of Harvard University, who never really gave them much thought at all, or UPenn, or MIT. It was only in that uh, crazy hearing where they revealed themselves to be um, anti-Semite sympathizers, right? <laughs> Just unbelievable. The acquiescence, the pro, uh, oh, you want to talk about genocide against Jews? Okay, well, that's fine. That's protected, and you can actually say those things. You know, the First Amendment is one thing, but a private institution, there's a code of conduct. You know, the the the, the right to free speech, I'm kind of a free speech absolutist, um, when it comes to, well, um, what you can and cannot say in public, I would expect that to be severely curtailed at a private institution. 
take a restaurant. I can't go into the middle of the restaurant and start, you know, spouting off. Uh, I could go into the middle of a restaurant and start and, and, and say the Pledge of Allegiance. I would expect to be thrown out of the restaurant, right? You can't have that. Listen, uh, I do want to hear from Barbara. Happy New Year, Barbara. We usually don't take calls at this time, but Barbara, you're special, of course. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and to your family, and congratulations on making the best-dressed list. (laughs) On your shows, you always look professional and 100% appropriate, and that it shows self-respect, that you respect yourself, and that you respect us, your audience. I think that's wonderful and so important. Good for you. Well, thank you. Gosh, self-respect, self You know what else you don't hear about, Mary? Self-control. It's not a phrase you hear of, you know, it's, it's actually something to, right? We want self-control, but you never talk about that. Never hear about it. It's not in the air. You don't hear about the word excellence. You don't hear about chip on the shoulder because everybody's got one. There are a lot of things that we don't hear about. You don't hear about liberty as much as we used to. Anyway, uh, well, thank you for that, Barbara. What are you thinking as we uh, start this uh, brand new year? Well, I'm thinking I was listening to your New Year's resolutions, and I was so impressed because people joke about their New Year's resolutions, but they actually serve a very important function to have us sit back, stand back, look at ourselves objectively and say, what can I do to make myself a better person? And there's a poem by a man named Edgar Allan Guest about that. It says, I have to live with myself, and so I want to be fit for myself to know I want to be able, as days go by, always to look myself straight in the eye. And the poem goes on like that. And it's all about, I don't want to be bluster and bluff and empty show. And I never can hide myself from me. I see what others may never see. That's not popular anymore. Exactly what you're talking about, self-discipline, self-respect, improving ourselves. That's something that your grandparents and your parents grew up with, as did mine. That's gone now. We left that behind in the late 60s and the 70s when we stopped respecting any authority, be it the authority of professors, of clergy, of teachers, of our parents, anyone. And so we lost that respect. We don't work on ourselves anymore to make ourselves better. Uh, yes, I know. Wow. Uh, so we should and we can and we will, uh, that, uh, not Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Edgar Allan who? Edgar Allan Guest. He wrote, um, 1100, 11,000 poems in his career. And he was born in Britain, but he lived in the United States in the Detroit area. And he particularly celebrated America's small town life because he saw that as the epitome of a situation where morals are recognized and are especially important. And I grew up in a town of 2,000 people, and I know how that is because if you did something wrong, everyone knew your family. They knew your dad. They knew your mom. They knew your grandparents. You would reflect upon the whole family. If you did something disgraceful. Oh boy. Well, everybody's in your business in a small town. That doesn't know. I, 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 that is community and it's good. And by the way, I know some folks would see, oh gosh, morals and gosh and God and gosh, I just want to have a good time. Well, you know what? Uh, I used to think that God got in the way of that. It's, it's the opposite. God, his rules, his, uh, his statutes, they are to ensure that you have a good time they maximize joy it's it's it, we all have it opposite i had it wrong for a very long time i jotted down i didn't jot these down i found them on uh online a whole bunch of nice sayings about new year's and they're all on one page here 
on, uh, let's see here, Resolution 1, I will live for God. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Somebody named Jonathan Edwards said that. Um, here's another one. God specializes in giving people a fresh start. Rick Warren. Although our New Year's resolutions may quickly crumble, God's plans never fail. Charles Stanley. Let's make one resolution this year to anchor ourselves in God's grace. Uh, the only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will waste nothing. Phillips Brooks. Um, uh, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, is that we should have a new soul. Wow. G.K. Chesterton. I don't know who most of these people are, but they're uh, they're brilliant. I know Charles Stanley and Rick Warren. Well, uh, any New Year's resolutions, Barbara, for you? Yes, yes, I have some New Year's resolutions. Um, in my family, we had two very bad losses of family members, and I am so mourning them. But my New Year's resolution is to not spend my time in mourning them, but spend my time in honoring their memory and things that were important to them and to spend my time in being especially kind and loving to the people that they loved. Well, we love it, Barbara. Thank you so much. We're grateful to you and we're counting on you for 2024. Okay. Well, I'm just hoping that as you go forward to talk about January 6th, you will let out all the stops and really let go because you have a way of unveiling and explaining things that other people don't show. And I know you showed these women who are supposedly sacrificing themselves to come forward for the greater good of the country by damning Donald Trump. But I hope someone interviews my friend Amy Kramer and her daughter Kylie, who actually organized the Stop the Steal uh, rally in Washington, D.C., where President Trump spoke. I hope someone will interview them. Well, I've actually interviewed Amy Kremer before. I have a feeling she may not be able to talk about it. She had to. I don't know. I mean, I would love to talk to her again. I have a feeling she doesn't like talking about it. I remember, though, she started that, you know, the Stop the Steal rally was totally fine, totally peaceful. It's amazing that Colorado said it wasn't First Amendment protected speech. It is so absurd from beginning to end. And I know I'm trying to organize my own January 6 counter hearings, um, getting that off the ground. It, it may, it's not going to happen before January 6th because, uh, well, there's got a couple of things I got to take care of. But, but January 6th is going to be with us for a long time. As you know, they're going to be pushing that, pushing that and pushing that, uh, beyond this January 6th. So Barbara, we thank you very, very much. Um, hey, on Meet the Press, they had a whole hour dedicated to mental health, mental health. And I thought that's great, you know, mental health. But it's interesting. They had expert after expert and political figure, and they're all talking about how important it is. And mental health is in crisis in America and people are suffering and all that is true. And what were their solutions? Text this uh, helpline. You know, uh, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, right? Greater availability of health care, mental health care. And all that's great. That's fine. But not one mention in the entire show about God. I found that fascinating, actually, because I can tell you from firsthand experience, folks, I've been to psychiatrists. I've been to psychologists. And some of them are very nice people. And some of them can help you. But quite frankly, um Ever since I uh, got acquainted with the big man all over again in Jesus, I don't need that stuff. I don't. I just, it's like I'm, I'm surprised I ever did. 
It's like, wow, the solution is so much closer. I'm not saying I perfected anything and I'm falling off. You know, that's one of the reasons why people don't like to talk about faith, because sometimes there's an assumption that, well, if you're talking about faith, then you're supposed to be perfect and you should not be talking about it unless you're perfect. And who's perfect? Nobody. Nobody, especially me. But I know this. I'm a lot better than I used to be. A lot better. Um, so, and, and, and sometimes the faithful, sometimes people who believe are the first ones to get in line and say, well, you said this, and that's actually, I disagree, and you shouldn't, you know, oh, just get lost. Um, let me just play this thing for Fetterman. Fet- All right, we'll do it when we get back. Poor Fetterman. Senator Fetterman. Man, is he mixed up. But what a mixed up interview. What a weird session they had. I'm glad Fetterman is okay. I think he's okay. Apparently, he was thinking about suicide, God forbid. But the solutions for Senator Fetterman, I think, are closer than he realizes, closer for all of us. But, man, that was a weird sit-down yesterday. And you know what? Looking at him, Pennsylvania. Thanks a lot, huh? Dr. Oz, where is he? Is there some way we can get him back? I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, let's just do this real quick. I told you that, that it, it, you could have more acceptance in this country if you come out as a, uh, as a, uh, I don't know, bisexual, uh, trans, hermaphrodite, um, lesbian, slat, whatever, uh, than coming out as a Christian, right? The first one, you'll get automatic, elevated status, protection, uh, sympathy, uh, you're right, you're, you're part of this LGBT queer community, right, like that. But the other thing, uh, Christian and Christianity and being saved and talking about, uh, uh, right and wrong, good and evil, you know, you could make somebody feel awkward, so you better not go there. Well, again, screw that. I'm so, it's such a, we have a, I guess he's Catholic, right, Joe Biden? He only, he only talks about his faith twice to brag about how well he knows the Pope. And to make a joke, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. He he says something like, you know, semi-critical of somebody, and then he makes the sign of the cross, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Always gets a laugh in front of his liberal leftist audiences. All right, so here's uh, poor poor John Fetterman. And I actually do feel bad for him, but I also feel bad for the people of Pennsylvania and for the rest of us that this guy's in the Senate, and he knew he had a problem, and he wasn't honest with people. Go ahead. We start with Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman. Barely a month into his service in Washington after experiencing a stroke in May of last year, the senator checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in February for clinical depression. I sat down with him in his Senate office. Senator Fetterman, welcome to Meet the Press. Thank you for being here. Thank you. When did hey, one you second. first... It's kind of funny. They're sitting in his office. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to my show. Thank you for being here. It's his office. They're in, they're sitting in his office. Keep going. Realize that you were struggling deeply with depression. Oh, that that started that started. I got into the uh, fully in life. That was the first time when I, I entered the race. Uh, and that would have been in January of, of, of 21, that it was just in a lot of pr- uh, pressure and a lot of stress. And, and everything, and just kind of like it a, a slow burn, uh, how it kept going along, 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 and I knew that my health was continued to deteriorate, and and then after the stroke hit, 
then I was on the other side, and it was a different kind of a challenge because I knew that everything and anything is going to be weaponized uh, by, weaponized. by the other side. And you describe this as a watershed moment. At what point did you know you needed real help, that you needed to check yourself into a hospital? Uh, at, at that point, I was able to keep myself some in check, where it's like I can hold myself together until the election. But that was October 25th, and the election was, I think, November 8th. So I was able to kind of keep myself enough to keep my uh, together. And then after the election, that's when things actually accelerated and got worse. Hey, hold on a second. And, yeah, you can listen to this whole interview. You're never going to find out what's bothering him, right? They never. She's like, well, what was getting you down? What was it? What was it? I know about depression and the biology involved, and it's a real thing. And uh, But often, usually, there's some actual real-world thing. You're running for the Senate. You win. Why are you depressed? That's a legitimate question. She never asked it, right? And how about that? On October 5th, he had to keep it together until the election. And then he collapses and checks himself into the hospital. You know what that is? That's a, that's a form of fraud. That's a form of fraud. You know, come clean with everybody. You got a problem. You, you're not going to be a full-time senator. You're going to be all over the place, apparently, right? And he gets credit for this. And the fake, ooh, how sensitive. I don't want anybody, to, I want everybody to be happy. Everybody to be happy. But they don't talk about any real solutions. They don't talk about any real problem. But she just tries to make it sound, what were you thinking when, what, at what time did you, uh, just nothing, not even scratching the surface. Anyway, get better, John Fetterman. I wish I could kick back with three weeks in the in Rancho Relaxo and talk about my feelings, but uh, not so much. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, these are pro-terrorist fanatics taken over the airport yesterday. Hey, look, if you want to be a pro-terrorist fanatic, uh, well, technically speaking, if you don't do anything to support terrorism, if you actually just say out loud you support terrorism, you're allowed to do that. That's a First Amendment protected activity. That's a new little phrase they're pushing. First Amendment protected activity. Okay, fine. You can say you can be as stupid and as idiotic as you want in public. Now stop that for a second. But that doesn't mean we will allow you to take over our streets, to take over our bridges, to take over critical infrastructure. Um, right? I mean, that's that's reasonable, right? You can think whatever you want. But protesters aren't allowed to take over the damn streets until, well, until Bill de Blasio came along. Bill de Blasio and, and came up with that light touch. Let them, let them vent steam. Let them do whatever the hell they want. And they did. And they did. And it put the cops in a terrible, terrible situation. Can you believe we're going to pay thousands of protesters thousands of dollars in one of the largest class action lawsuits against a uh, police agency in history? Millions and millions and millions of dollars are going to be paid to those Black Lives Matter uh, radical fools, and many of them were radical fools, who felt disrespected by the police. You know, police, from time to time, have to use force, especially when somebody is blocking a road or looting and the rest, right? 
Um, now, this is where this is where Eric Adams. I can't tell if he's well. Number one, I know he's stupid. Number two, I know he's bad at politics. Number three, I know he's bad at governing. Now, this is a great, great, great example. Uh, this consent decree. You know, I know nobody's talking about this thing, but it's one of the reasons why they're not talking about it. It's 42 pages long, and it's complicated. It's an agreement between the city of New York and left-wing radical lunatics, right, who want to be, well, who want a hands-off approach. They don't like cops, and they want cops to leave them alone during a protest, even if they take over streets and bridges. Now, the New York City has signed is is all in with this. This is a negotiated settlement, and Adams has okayed it, and so have the city lawyers. This is okay. This is the agreement. All right, now listen to this. When a protest blocks vehicular or pedestrian traffic or otherwise obstructs public streets or sidewalks, you kind of would want the NYPD to make arrests, right? No. According to this agreement, the NYPD shall, whenever possible, accommodate the demonstration. When necessary, the NYPD may deploy patrol officers to reroute vehicular or pedestrian traffic. Yeah, us. Law-abiding schmucks to accommodate these pro-terror, whatever they are, whatever their cause or position is. By the way, if you're a MAGA, make America great again, and you're taking over a sidewalk, yeah, you should be arrested too. These officers shall not be drawn from patrol and shall not carry equipment associated exclusively with those units, such as flex cuffs. They're saying what they can carry, what they cannot carry. The NYPD shall dispatch no more patrol officers than necessary in light of the conditions present at the time, to address vehicular and pedestrian traffic. Where a protest is so large or occurs in such a manner as to obstruct access to critical infrastructure, highways, bridges, tunnels, railways, subways, schools, hospitals. Okay, now you arrest, right? No. No. The NYPD may use members to service the direct protest to another route or location. You have to reroute them. But before doing so, protest liaisons shall endeavor to negotiate an alternative route or location with participants when feasible. All officers shall refrain from engaging in any enforcement activity unless it conforms to the NYPD's red light, green light policy as memorialized in this agreement. And you know what? I looked up the red light, green light uh, policy. It ain't memorialized. It's not spelled out. <laughs> it's it's not. It's this thing is terrible. Now, if I were the mayor, I'd say get the hell out of here. I'm not I'm not signing this. Listen to what the inept, foolish Eric Adams does. He complains about it, but then he signs it and gets. Cr- it's a very bizarre world. Uh, we have this moment where he's complaining about it, but remember, yeah, he's complaining about it, but he's the mayor. This is a city, the city has entered this agreement. We don't have to. You can fight it in court. You got lawyers for that. Go ahead. If you had such issues with the settlement terms, why did the city enter the settlement? Why not just fight it and, and keep the lawsuit going? Um, the, the, the signals we got was uh, they were telling us that we could have had a worse of outcome if we didn't come to some type of settlement that was the signals when I, as soon as i read the the settlement i said this is a problem this is a problem and you know you have to go by the advice of your attorneys you know but uh, as soon as i read it anyone who policed this city 
uh, should be concerned about what's in the settlement. Yeah. You see, but you see how he's having it both ways. He's having it. He's, this is a problem, but he signed it. He entered it. Now, earlier in that press conference, he complained about it. Like, you know, I don't think protesters should be able to take over streets. And then Fox News and the New York Post, they give him credit for that. But they overlook what this guy says. You hear the reporter, one of the few reporters who actually does his work, I don't know his name, who reads the thing and understands that you did not have to go along with this. Just the, go ahead one more time. If you had such issues with the settlement terms, why did the city enter the settlement? Why not just fight it and, and keep the lawsuit going? Um, the, the, the signals we got was uh, they were telling us that we could have had a worse of outcome. Stop. The signals we got was a, uh, we're going to get an adverse whatever. The signals. What signals? Smoke signals? Fight it out in court. Put it in writing. Let's see it. Object. Do your job. Do your job. He doesn't know. He does not understand the scope. He does not understand this stuff. And all he really does care about is press conferences. You know, wearing that suit. You know, (laughs) that goofy laugh. Getting in the newspaper. Running around from press conference to press conference. And, yeah, fooling people at the New York Post. In part because, well, the New York Post is very eager to show that. Look, I love the New York Post, actually. And uh, I think I'll stop criticizing them right there. You don't want to, what do they say, anybody who buys uh, ink by the gallon, they do incredible things. Hell, the, the, the laptop. But they also do stupid things, like endorse Eric Adams. Um, and then they also tell me about things that absolutely don't matter. The oldest newspaper in the country thinks that this is news. I guess I am going to criticize them. Well, why not? Uh, what can they do to me? You know what? <laughs> they already blew up my life. Yeah, they did, actually. Thanks. Uh, where is that? They had a they had a situation. Two girls are dating each other, and it's in the newspaper. All right, are you ready for this? Parvati Shallow comes out as queer, reveals May Martin is her girlfriend. Who in the world is, right? And this is an exclusive in the New York Post. Parvati Shallow is her name. Comes out as queer. Now we got to figure out what that means. Reveals May Martin relationship. I don't know May Martin. I don't care to know May Martin. I don't. Parvati Shallow apparently won the Survivor. Is that still on TV? Yeah, Survivor. Survivor is still on TV. And this is the kind of stuff that they, uh, they still cover. I guess people click on it, right? Clickbait. That's what it's all about. Uh, let me see here. Stephen in Manhattan, hello. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Greg. Now, here's something for you, and I'd like to uh, know what you think about it. Um, the U.S. prints the money. Uh, President uh, Biden, as uh, I prefer to refer to him as President Biden, sends the money to Iran. People ask the question, why are we sending all this money to Iran? Well, Iran turns around and sends it right back to the U.S. We, in effect, are laundering money through Iran, and that money that Iran sends back to maybe an NGO here or perhaps Soros, they fund these protests. That's where the money is coming from. In effect, the United States is funding these protests 
all over the country by laundering it through Iran. So what's your take on that? Uh, number one, um, we have been way too soft on Iran. Only President Trump uh, had their number. And giving in and that crazy Iran nuclear deal, and we could not get back in it fast enough under Joe Biden. And, yeah, the pallets of cash. Uh, and I know about Iran funding terrorism activities all over the world, including Gaza, including Hamas, including the Houthis. I am not particularly aware of the money coming. Look, I know that Soros and other people are uh, funding some of these guys taking over the streets. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about the Iran angle. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Soros isn't getting money from Iran, whatever. But it's all one toxic stew. You say the money's coming from Iran and uh, fueling all this stuff, huh? Well, we are fund. We are laundering money through Iran to come right back here to fund these protests. How do you now, know no that? Is- I mean, I, I, you say no one, yeah, including me. I, 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 I may have seen. Gosh, there are so many things going on. But just be specific if you can. Um, and we have totally, you know, blown it regarding Iran under Joe Biden. But how? Tell me how the money, you know, gets back from Iran and who's spending it here. You you threw out some names, but can you be specific? Organization? What? Or they sent Soros? Or they? Yeah, I mean, it Soros. To- what is? And people say Soros. I mean, what does that mean? Soros is a billionaire, right? I mean, yeah, he's right. funding. He's but- finding. He's funding a lot of this stuff himself. So I don't know about. I don't know about the Iran angle. I don't. I don't either. All right, well, that's quite a theory, though, but you don't know. You called the radio station. I thought you had the facts. Well, no, I'm a I'm a singer-songwriter living in my apartment in New York City. All right, well, what the hell am I listening to you for about Iran? I'm only kidding, Stephen. Uh, uh, What kind of singer-songwriter are you? Well, uh, Curtis has played my music a little while ago, some of it. Has any he real rate? I'm only kidding. Uh, did, did you get it? Uh, Stephen, that's great. Uh, so you call Curtis's too. I don't know what it is, but I get a little annoyed when I find out people call other radio shows, even here, even my friends. I don't know. Stephen, good points. Uh, do some research. I will try to do the same. I have not heard what you just said, but all good otherwise? Well, the paradigm of my career has been that i've had a record on apple records apple the beatles company i am a recording artist on apple records if you want to play the music you, you're free to do it you can do it well, and uh yeah that's great um uh what do you play what instrument well my main instrument is the keyboard is keyboard and when you were did you play with the beatles or something like that i didn't play with the beatles but when they came out with their apple project when they came out with the apple project i said hey i'm going to take this song that i'm working on i was a member of the tokens at the time the lion sleeps tonight i was a member of that group at the time in 64 65 66 67 and when they came out <sighs> apple when beatles came out with the apple project all right I said, I'm going to do that. And I sent it to them thinking maybe they'll sing it themselves. But they took the track that I made here in New York City and they put it on Apple. Harrison and Lennon. All right. I can't get involved. I can't get involved anymore. Harrison and Lennon, what? Now I'm curious. What do they do? They they took the song and they put it on Apple Records. Sons of bitches. Did they pay you? I have received money over the years. Fantastic, Stephen. Stay in touch, and I'll be listening for you on the Curtis show. Uh, let's try uh, – eh, let's skip all the – no, let's go to Jim and Yonkers. Hello. Hi, Greg. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yep. 
I just uh, wanted to mention to you um, when I heard about Gay stepping down from Harvard, one person immediately came to my mind, and I just wanted to run up by you that I feel would be a phenomenal replacement. I'll give you five quick hints because I know you're going to guess who I'm talking about. The, the person is a very accomplished academic. Just say who it is. Just say who it is? Yeah. Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson for president of Harvard. Yep, world-renowned. I have a better chance at becoming the president of Harvard than Ben Carson. All right? Really? You think so? Never, ever, 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 ever. Are they going to sign? You have uh, uh, Donald Trump's cabinet secretary, possibly future running mate, as the president of Harvard. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, look, if the world were not insane, yes, that could happen. But the world is insane. Uh, Harvard is the craziest bastion of insanity anywhere, and uh, there's there's just no way. Um, and I also don't know if he went to Harvard. Not that that's a prerequisite. It's not a prerequisite to go to that school. Let's see here. Did he go to Harvard? I don't think he did. He went to Yale University and uh, University of Michigan. Although he wouldn't be the first uh, Harvard president to not. Anyway, forget it. It's not even a chance. Why, why would you come up with that name? Because it's not that I really believe he would be selected because of Harvard, the institution itself, the board, and all the crap that's going on. I just felt if you anybody just looked at Dr. Ben Carson, what a wonderful role model he would be for the younger generation. Well, he's wonderful, world. but they would burn up that campus. They would, they would. Oh my gosh, they would. Uh, those crazy kids. They would, they would act as though we had bombed. Uh, uh, Cambodia. I mean, they would just go totally crazy. It would never, ever, ever happen. Uh, but anyway, there is a vacancy up there. Claudine Gay is out for being a copycat and an anti-Semite, outright anti-Semite maybe, or at least an anti-Semite sympathizer. Thank you. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, for all the insanity up there at Harvard University, I uh, grew up kind of fond of Harvard. I had an experience up there, um, a lot in a way. My father went to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. He attended for a year and actually uh, full-time and uh, received a master's degree, a master's in public administration from Harvard University. This is in the early 80s, and I would go up there. I was in junior high school or whatever, and uh, he lived there and we, he would commute and we'd sometimes go up there and visit as a family. And it was an interesting time. And I remember being very impressed with the institution, being very impressed, uh, just thinking, wow, these giants, these, uh, they, they all seem very intellectual and they had very famous, uh, political figures come. I remember Robert Reich of all people. Uh, I'd seen him on cable TV, I guess. He later became Clinton's secretary of labor. And I don't know, I had a Harvard sweatshirt and stuff, and it just seemed like, um, you know, a very impressive place. And I I have kind of a – I always thought it was cool, but now I know better. And it's they really shot themselves in the foot with this Claudine Gay, making her the president. Now, they made her the president, let's be clear here, because she's a black woman. And they overlooked uh, major deficiencies in her record. She just did not have the record to be. Now, that is such a disservice, I think, to black women, because when you fixate on gender and race, right, you'll just find the the closest whatever it is you want to hire. You know, uh, an Asian person who's uh, under, I, I don't know, just 
whatever it is that you want to get, you're just going to find the closest one at hand. If you do a more, I don't know, I, I even want to say inclusive search, you may find somebody who's superbly qualified, who might happen to be a black woman. But when you make that the objective, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Larry Summers was the Harvard president. I actually know that guy. He was a secretary of the treasury. He was a Nobel prize winner. He was a professor at the age of 25. And then after a long career, they made him the president of Harvard. This person was just grading papers. I mean, this is, this was just a regular teacher and they made her the president. Now they're really regretting that six months later. Yeah. All right. Listen, I got to go in a moment, but first Carmine, happy new year. Happy New Year, Greg. You are encouraging me to do uh, workout more, and I did 96 push-ups this morning. Um, In a row? No, but what I was told at my age, you have to be careful of your rotator cuff. So just this weekend, a trainer told me, do sets of 25. All right. I did three sets of 25, and then yesterday I got to 20, which makes it 95, and today I did 21. So I got to 96. Yep. Hey, I love it. I love it. Improve a little bit every day. Don't compare yourself to nobody, Carmine, just what you were yesterday. All right. Well, Happy New Year, pal, and keep it up. And I do appreciate uh, your friendship and your listenership. Let's just, uh, we got to wrap this up in a second. Nate has been on hold for a while. Hi, Nate. Uh, yeah, I just want to say quickly, uh, what you're seeing with Trump is just a macro version of what's going to happen to ordinary Left, uh, kind of right-wing, conservative-leaning citizens, and so far as that, people like Merrick Garland have turned the, Mer- the Justice Department and the FBI into police, a political police agency, to persecute political opponents and not prosecute crimes. Now, that being said, there's a bit, there's almost an Achilles heel among conservative Americans, and, and that's this: it's police worship or glorification. Now we're done with that. We're done with that. I agree with you. There, there has been some of that. And by the way, we, why? Because we're for law and order and we, we support, we support cops who by and large do a great job. But we have seen too many episodes where you can't be blindly. I don't think you're right about that being an Achilles heel. We have the, uh, we have the number of the FBI now, right? We saw what the Capitol Hill cops did, right? We support cops, but we know there are plenty of exceptions. There are some bad ones out there. Many thanks. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.